Episode 185 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the brilliant English actors, comedians and writers Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. This interview took place in London in 1991 when they were promoting the second series of Jeeves and Worcester, the British comedy-drama TV series based on the books of P.G. Woodhouse. At that time, these two best friends who'd met as students at Cambridge University were working a lot as a comedy double act, also on their sketch show A Bit of Fry and Laurie, and they both appeared in the hit sitcom Blackadder. Of course, they both went on to become even bigger international stars of stage and screen. But back then, the main focus of this interview was on Stephen's portrayal of the highly intelligent valet Jeeves and Hugh as the affable member of the idle rich Bertie Worcester. Concentrate, that's what reminded me. Hugh Laurie. Hugh, you're being interviewed, man. Sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, he's not Carry on, sorry. And the new series of Jeeves and Worcester. Right. I mean, you said that after the first one, that the second one was still important to see how much further you could go. Yeah. Did we say that? Did we say that? <laughs> what the hell? You must have said that. It's, um, I thought it'd be interesting to make it slightly worse, actually. <laughs> I thought that would be the most interesting way to go with it. Well, we haven't seen it, is the short answer. We have, we've seen, we've seen a couple of episodes couple of rough dubbed or anything, without all the sound effects and all that, which I'm hoping is going to rescue us. <laughs> um, and then lovely music, you know, which is really what people tune in for. Um, Do you feel that you have progressed quite a bit I think that without consciously doing so, we've settled into the characters a bit more. I don't know. Perhaps I mean I don't want to sound as if we were coasting. I mean, one still, you know. But it, it, I'd sort of felt, you know, the very first time you do it, you're obviously thinking all the time, what is this going to look like? Is this going to look absolutely mad? Is this a good way to pick up a teacup or whatever? But um, particularly in the case of Jeeves, it's, so, it's such a sort of uh, a small ambit of things that he does, like folding clothes or whatever, that once, you know, I'd done it just about all in the first series, so there was nothing new in terms of just things like folding action. clothes. So I was more confident about how I would fold clothes and how I'd... So those sort of things become easier, which sound trivial, but of course are so much the essence of a character like that. Did you sort of find yourselves slipping into those sort of things in real life as well, because you have spent so much time on production? Sometimes, yeah. It sort of, you know, it, it sort of comes and goes. Some days you sort of feels very... Partly could make me because it's a slow day, and everything's taking a long time. It, it, you know, you start feeling like it's a job, and you, know, mm. you just sort of do the crossword. And, and then other days, you, you you do feel quite sort of into it, really. But you know, you seem to say about folding clothes and all that sort of thing. You actually find yourself doing that. No, it quite the reverse is the opportunity then to go to your caravan and just drop your clothes and let a dresser pick them up for you is all too all too tempting. Which you resist. Which I resist strongly at, at all times. Yeah, yeah. But, Particularly, it's things like when you're in a car or in the middle of a country house, really and, and, and you feel very much part of that world then, and, and the, the costume and everything else just makes you feel as if you really are living in that in that decade and, and in that sort of way, and, and that's very sort of fun. Driving around in the car, mm. just walking around these extraordinary places that still exist in Britain. Would you like to have Would you like to have lived in that kind of era and lived Oh in yeah, absolutely. Had a valet. Well, it's not really. It's not. It's not. Ju- it's not so much the luxury of it, which is obviously great, you know. But it's the. Um, it's the sort of innocence of it, and and the, uh, you know, people don't die in car crashes and they don't get raped and they don't sort of jump out of tall buildings because their life is so miserable and they can't pay the mortgage you know it's a it's an innocent world where none of those sort of things happen it's 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 the garden of eden really you know it's just so 
happy most of the time. You know, the, the most unhappy anyone gets is because they, um, you know, they've learned that a newt has escaped or something, yeah. or whatever. You know, yeah. it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of the, the past eras Yeah. Do you well, it's it is sort of uh, it, it it has been made as a criticism of a lot of you know British television and uh, films uh, that there is this sort of obsession with the past. You know that that the only people who can who can get films made and actually go ahead and make them are making uh, you know Victorian Edwardian things or they're making fifties stuff. You know, it's uh, in some ways it's, it's as if we f find it difficult to really confront. You know the world we're living in at the moment, yeah. dramatically. The it's like the same old thing with the, the, this whole thing that goes on about architecture at the moment. That uh, you know what what is people built buildings two hundred years ago, which were buildings that people were building two hundred years ago. Why is it therefore not possible for us to build buildings now, which say as say as much about you know, and, and yet it sort of we seem to be sort of afraid of it somehow, and I and somehow get it wrong. At least to get it wrong enough to make lots of people very unhappy about it. You know, yeah. either thinking that we've uh, there's a lot of modernist nonsense, and why can't we build um, why can't we build Victorian buildings? In a way, you know, it's it's like it's a it's as if we're sort of not happy with 1991. In a way, we kind of think, well, it's certainly a very noticeable British problem, isn't it? Uh, that, that not being uh, a top dog, one tends to to comfort oneself with. The with the memories of when one was, and the, and the culture, and the clothes, and the styles, and everything else that went with the time when we were, we were culturally and imperially the best, as it were. The Americans' television, nearly all of the television one watches in America, apart from westerns, is um, the modern landscape of modern America. Cars go down modern streets, you see what it's really like, and filling stations and ordinary places. And they they're proud of it. It's part of a living, thriving, yeah. uh, dominant culture. Yeah. And, and they can mythologize that now. The only time we see that, that is happened, in a, yeah. you know, so and that's derided as trash. It's the only time we actually see what Britain might look now, you yeah. know, the market in the East End or whatever. But that's quite cosy. It's not... But you know, you don't see people in British films driving along Westway. I've never seen it. I don't know why. You did in the 60s. There was little, suddenly, we quite liked our... The same. Yeah, yeah. We, we liked the Italian our job and things and like that. that you saw Lancaster buildings. Gate and you saw... We liked you know, them. We thought they were and, great. And you saw the Royal Lancaster Hotel, which is mm. a... which is um, a 60s... Mm. Building, you know, and uh, it was, but it was a cool place to stay. Because, yeah. And some, the idea of someone building, going on there being a modern is. building that anyone could say is a cool place to stay now is, you know, yeah, God, yeah. it's a bit new, isn't it? No, yeah. it's, it's very weird. I want to come to a house hotel. And, and, and as it is with television, it's just strange. And we, and Jude Muscat is part of that, obviously. But then it always was, oddly enough, it was in its own day part of that. That's the strange thing that it's no more escapist now than it was in the twenties. It's, it's just as escapist because it wasn't a real world then. And he was writing in America, and yeah. mixing memory with desire, um, as Elliot so perfectly put it. And um, has it? Has it? Yes. Is it a favourite era? Also, that the Dean of Worcester era. Is it one that I know you both great yes. fans of Woodhouse and the books and things. Definitely. Well, I, I, um, yeah. I mean, I remember. Uh, I can't remember actually how old I was, but I remember being set as well as at school being set uh, to write an essay about you know what period would you most li have liked to have lived in. And at the time, it was actually before I started reading Jeeves, the Jeeves novels, but I was reading lots of Blanding's Castle. And I described Blanding's Castle and, and you know, what, what, why I... And, and I remember the, uh, the schoolmaster taking me to one side and having to say, I'm awfully sorry, but that actually 
didn't exist. I'm, I'm really sorry. And I was absolutely shattered by it. You know, this that wasn't a dreamy peer with a pig. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> where, where the world didn't intrude, really. Mm. Now I know that there was a lot of concern when you were first uh, offered the chance of doing Beauty Worcester about how the real fans of Peter yeah. House would take your interpretation. Mm. Um, it seemed that you were almost more scared of them than you were the critics. Do you see what I mean? Would you agree with that? In a way, that's true. I think the, I think we naturally assume the critics would take the part very often of the avid Woodhouse fan. You know that they would present it from the point yes. of view because it's a it's a favourite name to drop amongst journalists yeah. because he was such a great writer of English. They'd all want to pretend that they, they that they are Woodhouse buffs. Some even of them even fantastically ignorantly. You know, there was a uh, a listings preview in the Independent, which can be relied upon for the ghastliest comments from anybody, and uh, some figure. I said, um, you know, today uh, the new series Bees and Worcester starts. It remains to be seen how well Fran Laurie will be able to create the world of Blandings. <laughs> so he obviously had never read it. Wrong. He Wrong thought, books. He thought the Blandings were the same as Jeeves and Woodhouse only wrote Jeeves. I mean, that sort of thing, and, and yet it, yeah. And so he wanted to be on the side of the purists, as it yes. were, and I think a lot of the critics did. So we, by being frightened of purists, we were sort of frightened of critics. Yeah, as we well. sort of lumped them together in a way. Um, but and I can understand it, because I know that if it had happened and I'd had nothing to do with it, you know, yeah. uh, I would have been. Not a, I bet actually not antagonistic, but yeah, I would have kind of hated it. God, I would have hated it. I would have watched it. What was the feedback like from the Woodhouse fans when you actually did the first series? Pretty good, the ones I yeah. Had, I mean, you know, actually, to be honest, I think they were pleased. I, I, a lot of them, and this is by no means to denigrate the marvellous memory of Dennis Price and the present ever living memory of, of Ian Carmichael, who are both brilliant mm. comic actors and whose um, you know, comedy socks we are not worthy to darn, but. <laughs> The problem with that series that they did in the late 60s was that it, it was done in a half-hour situation comedy format with the studio audience laughing. And I, and I know Woodhouse himself really did, did not like it at all, and that's a historical record, partly because it vulgarised it by adding new jokes all the time because it had to have the same sort of laugh rate, actual laugh out loud with an audience rate, of a, of a standard sitcom. And a lot of people didn't like that. And at least... At least we haven't. At least we're not so vulgarised in that way. It looks beautiful. The the, the work from Ryan Dis, the um, set designer, and, and and people like that, and the costumes and everything have been just fantastic. So the look is marvellous. I think it's classy, and so that is pleasing that it hasn't. And we haven't taken liberties and tried to do a sort of black adder version of it or anything like that. Which some of them might have feel. It has been respectful. I mean, possibly too respectful. I, I don't think so. I think yeah. the words are so good. It was interesting reading through the production notes. Everyone involved seems to be a great fan of Woodhouse. Is that a sort of coincidence, or do you think you were all sort of drawn to the project because? I don't know. Yes, I. It's hard not to be if you read them. Yeah, I, mean, it, I, I haven't think... read them and think it's about a lot of silly asses larking about and they're not going to like it. And then they're drawn with this extraordinary prose, mm -hmm. and it's very hard not to love it mm. and to love the amiability of the characters, the fact that it's also good nature. It's it's not been like strangling a kitten to dislike Woodhouse. You know, it's just sort of you wouldn't think of it. So, mm. I mean, there are people who don't, there's no question. Yeah. It does seem that the two of you were sort of, uh, with all respect to Ian Carmichael, you were saying earlier that you two were sort of inevitably going to play these two characters because you seem to fit into that mould. Do you sort of mind that? No, I, um, I don't. I think they are sort of archetypal characters in some way. He was talking earlier about the similarity to Holmes and Watson in, mm. in terms of the presentation of them as first-person stories told by the the fellow who lives and, and works with a, this extraordinary brain, you know, in one case Holmes, in the other case Jeeves. And, and there exists that sort of relationship between them that is a very archetypal comic relationship or, or indeed dramatic relationship. And, and I think we are 
obviously more likely to be cast in that sort of thing than, say, um, Ben Elton and Billy Connolly are, mm. you know, for obvious reasons, you know, that we do have this sort of roughly the right kind of voices and manner, I suppose. Mm. Hugh, would you say you had that sort of humour? I mean, you, you obviously have a, a good rapport and a certain sense of humour together. Is that, is the Woodhouse sort of humour, is that the one that yeah, yes. I mean, when it comes down to, to straightforward words, because after all, you know, he wrote he wrote books. He didn't write uh, well because he, he, that's completely untrue. He did write um, you know, musicals and all the rest of it. But I mean, as, as just words on a page, they are. I mean, he's just unbeatable. And in actual fact, there would be times when we'd be shooting a scene and the relevant whatever the scene was would be you know someone would have the novel out and it would just be sitting there and while you were waiting for them to set it up you know you just read the scene through and generally they were tended to be three times as long because there's an awful lot of stuff you can't do on film so that it was always condensed when you put it on television and you'd just be sort of laughing out loud at the, just the beauty of the and, and the brilliance of this dialogue and the description and then in actual fact you walk towards the set with leaden feet, thinking, oh, God, how, how on earth can we, you know. Yeah. Well, so in a way, all you really want is just to let people hear it. You, you, you sort of, rather than giving it any great sort of comic um, wallop, you know, you just want to let do it in such a way that you don't get in the way of it, that you just let the words be heard, you know, because they are so staggering. They're just, you know, sentences that just make you gasp, but they're so brilliant. Yeah, the interesting uh, thing, it does seem to be a very sort of well-educated sense of humour, the sort of thing to which only a certain section of the population would uh, yeah. appeal to only a certain section, and yet it does bring an extraordinary... Well, except that, of course... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and his books were... And Americans love it, too, of course. Yeah, but foreign language. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I, I hope so. He, his books were popular, of course, for, for decades, and, and he, uh, he, he was always amused that the majority of his letters came from people in prisons or hospitals. <laughs> so he obviously could go to cheering people up, but I think he... While he was an immensely educated man himself, in, 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 a, in a Victorian tradition, essentially, I mean, he, he was born in the height of, you know, real high Victorianism, and he, he went to school and was reading Thucydides at the age of eight and was, a, you know, very classically educated, and he read all of Shakespeare many times a year. He knew it absolutely backwards. And it's some of the phrases, some of the comedy comes from this juxtaposition of sort of immensely classical English, beautiful rhythms with bits of slang and just the name Biffy or somebody inside yeah. such a sentence is in itself already funny this this way he responded to the 20th century and its slangs in the framework of an immensely structured language full of quotations from Scott and Shakespeare and Milton and things sort of peppered in which which is perfect because Bertie who tells the story himself has, has had that sort of education and it sort of washed through him these phrases and uh, you know, so when someone's when he's at a bit of a stand, you know, he won't say, "I couldn't think what to do." He said, "I was a bit like that." Um, what's the thing about cats and cabbages? Um, letting I I dare not wait upon I would like the poor cat of the adage. So. Oh, that's it. I think cabbages give it. No, the adage. So. All right. You know that sort of thing. You know, it's just all in his head somewhere, and it's all very very sort of pleasant. Well, Hugh, were, you, were you both brought up on this kind of uh, the Woodhouse books and all that sort of thing? Were you both? You you live separate lives. For, uh, yes. You met at Cambridge, wasn't it? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Did you both have a uh, well, yeah. I mean, we, yes, we uh, both um, read them, you know, long before we, long before we met, and long, certainly long before we came to doing it. But uh, Stephen started much earlier than I did. I mean, I was, uh, yeah, I, I, I was. Uh, my father was a big fan, and uh, I mean, the, the funny thing about prisons and hospitals is that, is that that was always 
I'm been to prison, actually. Sorry, I can't fill on fill in this. But that seems to be the place. There were always kind of books that were sort of left around somewhere, you know. That, uh, and so it was sort of sort of hard to avoid them, yeah. And I uh, started fairly early. Stephen started at about three, was it? <laughs> I remember at Bretzkill seeing in the library a book, green book, which I had the same edition now, exactly with the cloth colour with a strange black silhouette on the spine, which said on it, it was the first word I've seen, and it just said, the clicking of Cuthbert by P.G. Woodhouse. And I, I used to sort of look at it. I, never, I don't think I even picked it up or drew it out of the shelf. just used to say it as a phrase. Much of them might hum things. I'd just sort of go and say the clicking of Cuthbert. I had no idea what it meant. I knew Cuthbert was a name, but what the clicking of him? Of course, it's a fact. It's a, it's a collection of golf short stories. And it's, Cuthbert clicks with his girl, meaning to, to click. Did you click? You know, he, he proposes and she manages, and it's the story of Marison. And that's what the clicking of Cuthbert is, but it just is a phrase in treatment. I wouldn't understand it. No, yeah. no, I love the it. clicking of Cuthbert. <laughs> so strange, isn't it? But as far as the, the clicking of you two is concerned, <laughs> you didn't meet till you Beautiful went to, to university. But that's did you right. find, was there quite a lot in common with your backgrounds when you met? Did you, when you talked to each other, did you, uh, you had quite a similar upbringing? I suppose roughly, you know, yeah. sort of. But no, it weren't, weren't magnificently different. Oh. Uh, yeah. Did you immediately get on? I mean, how, what was the moment you actually met? I know that you're sort of headhunters, Well, sort of, yeah. What does that mean, exactly? Well, I, I was um, president of a thing called The Footlights, which just put on a yeah. um, sort of comedy show every year. Stephen was doing, was was also sort of acting, but in much more heavyweight stuff. He was playing decrepit kings all the time because he was seven feet tall and had a very deep voice, and therefore he'd always get cast as the, as the old king. And I... As it turns out, it, it, Stephen had got had, had felt he'd probably had enough of that by his last year, and I um, was just very keen that, that the, the comedy show we did was sort of was going to look serious in a way, if you know what I mean. It's sort of grown up and, uh, and not just fresh-faced undergraduates, or not actually fresh-faced, pretty spotty-faced undergraduates in bright shirts going, you know, and singing songs and being all cheery. It was going to be sort of dark somehow, and Stephen was the darkest-looking person I could find, and so. I, <laughs> I booked him, as it were. Yeah. yeah. And we, Where had you spotted him? Well, being decrepit kings. Right, right. You know, he was quite... He was. He did stand out pretty well, because, I mean, he stands out pretty well now, but even more so then, because he was... Uh, Not he was about. Exactly. Well, that, obviously, yeah. yeah. But also, um, he was about 45 then. <laughs> and, uh, you know, wore... I th- not quite stiff collars, but he was—he wore a jacket <laughs> and tie every day. I mean, as an undergraduate, wearing a jacket and tie is weird, you know. And he did all that, and and may even have smoked a pipe. I don't know. I did for a time. Yeah, and as since then, it got younger and younger. So it's not quite so noticeable now. <laughs> um, in fact, you're just about crossing over at your real I, age, I aren't hope you? So, yes. When you and actually we'll met for the first time, what, can you remember? Hmm. Uh, yeah. No, I think so. I mean, well, you will, thank you. Uh, yes, you were the one in the yes, in your own room, <laughs> Cambridge. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, it was to write this the first thing of the year, really, and I'd hopped along, and uh, I was immensely in awe of you. I thought he was uh, a great hero because he he was an athlete and he could, uh, he could play the guitar and the piano and the harmonica and anything he could pick up really a table. You know. <laughs> he, he, and uh, he just he sang the song that he just composed, which was brilliant, and I was immensely impressed. So I felt. You know, and the Footlights had a kind of a class. I mean, I, although I hadn't particularly enjoyed the, 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 the Footlights review the year before, which he wasn't in, well, he went up to Edmund, but he wasn't in the, 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 the Maywood version. The one before, which he had been in, I, I liked very much. And um, 
you know, because he was the president of Footlights and it, that had the sort of imprimatur of, of or imprimatur, or imprimatur yeah. of um, uh, Cleese I and Cook and everything. I-M-P-R-I-M-A-T-U-R. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but did, was the chemistry there straight away with the humour and were you immediately... Chemistry and little late 19th century history and double yes. maths. And, uh, mm. so yes, it was. Actually. I think, I think we, we both just saw that we had a similar sense of humour mm. and that it was quite a rare one. It, was a lot. It was different from other people's, but and so we sustained each other. And then he said, "Nourished." I'm glad it didn't. Yeah, thank God for that. Do you almost find yourselves in an exclusive sense of humour that when the two of you are together, having a good laugh, as it were, is it often to the exclusion of other people on different planes, as it were? Because it's uh, very sophisticated. Not deliberately. Not deliberately. Not deliberately no, no. I think the tragic thing is that we just probably think we're much funnier than we are. I think that's probably <laughs> what it is. But uh, <laughs> I. Yes, I mean, of course, it, it, would be, it would be absolutely useless if nobody else found us mm. funny. I mean, we certainly wouldn't get so much as a booking in a village hall, let alone the large dogs or cats. So there must be somebody else who shares it uh, yeah. somewhere. I suppose so. <laughs> I suppose so. But it, it's uh, no, it's, it, it's no, it's not. It's not sort of. Um, oh, there is a word for it. It's not private. Mm. I don't think. No, you know, we don't. Uh, no, 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 we don't actually have many sort of private jokes, particularly, really. Do they? Do, do they? That is, yes. But no, we never do. No, just made that one up. <laughs> we don't uh, have it. No, we don't. But we, we, we react to things quite similarly. Yeah. Quite similarly. Really. Um, I've been used to that Richard Ingram's read out yesterday on, um, you know, news quiz where they have to read out a thing. Yeah. He read out the one of the, that barrister or judge who'd been curb crawling. said, oh, officer, thank goodness. Oh, yeah. Get <laughs> yeah. this woman out of my car. And he was just... He was weeing himself while trying to read it. Yeah. It's absurd. It's absurd. It's yeah. But I mean, how strong is the the sort of vibe between? I mean, do you almost know what? I and mean, I've read this that you almost know what each other's about to say. That sort of thing. I mean, is that really the case? Do you have there been interesting times? Where using Come on. Um, <laughs> we do often, yes, to the to the um, amusement or despair of others. We do sometimes finish. A sentence together, or, or suddenly say precisely the same thing. Tries it. Thing, thing, the same thing. Sorry. Thing. And uh, that's that's quite um, uh, that's bound to happen, really. You know, I suppose. Uh, but uh, I think I mean, we are, you know, as uh, we're not joined at the hip. You no. know, there, 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 there is there is a difference. You've got He's your with right hand. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, how much do you actually get to see of each other outside of work? Quite a lot, actually. Quite a lot. I mean, uh, they're very nice to me. They invite me to dinner on Sundays and things like that. And, you know, look after me, taking my washing. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> they're taking the <laughs> they, they invite me to the to dinner parties a lot. Mm-hmm. When you're a sad old bachelor, you know, then you know, it's nice to have a family to sponsor you and look after. do nonsense. Um, but no, so we do. We do, and we just come back from some writing. Uh, we went away a month and uh, with his families there as well. So you know, there's a lot of them. I have to say, this is not. I'm trying to compare ourselves to right. any of these great, you know, the Morkman Wises and two Rons and everything. Yeah. But it was always quite surprising to me that they, um, by all accounts, didn't um, didn't sort of know each other socially. I mean, they obviously yeah. knew each other, but they didn't, uh, you know, go out together or, or, you know, they they met, they did the show, they you know they enjoyed working with each other, and then they went their separate ways. And I always found that kind of strange. I just couldn't couldn't quite see how that would work. You know, it just seems. Yeah, it's like not eating together after a show. Yeah. It's weird. You know. But you two do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. 
But when you're not working, I mean, do, do the two of you see... I mean, I'm just trying to get yeah. some idea of how much you do see it. Yeah, um... I mean, are you best friends? Mm -hmm. You are, yeah. Yeah, I would say. It's interesting... I don't know why I qualified it. Yeah, sort of... Yeah, mm, sort of. No, we are. Mm. It's interesting how you're on when Stephen was making one or two cracks. I mean, you sort of half smiled as if, well, you know, I'm so used to this now. I mean, do you, are you always so used to each other's humour that... I mean, why is other people maybe falling about at each other's... Um, I do it to undermine his confidence <laughs> because um, I don't want him sort of getting ideas. That's all. <laughs> I do it just constantly to make him think that he's not that funny, actually, because it would be, he'd be insufferable, to, you know, to work with if he did. He's bullying, really. Yes, it is exactly <laughs> he's bullying. No, we do make each other laugh a lot, actually. Um, I mean, in a teenage sort of way, sometimes, you know, in in the lift at the BBC, he suddenly. Hugh Scully gets in or something, it would just make us giggle, and we'd like a couple of adolescents, which is very good fun. But also, I'd make anyone giggle. Yes, Hugh Scully has a, has a gift for comedy that has yet been unexploited. But he, he, no, he does make me laugh, basically, that's the thing. When we're writing together, we laugh. Because often uh, it takes people from outside of your own group to tell you really what is funny. But are you two, yeah. do you bounce each other? ideas of each other. Yeah, I think we both find that the, uh, because they're partners, they're so rare, but I suppose that actually stand-up comedians is the only example of it. Um, the, the incredible self-confidence required in, in writing something yourself or thinking of a joke yeah. yourself, going out in front of 500 people and telling it. I think it's funny, therefore 500 people are going to think it's funny. It's a phenomenal thing, but we have a sort of, you know, just have a sort of one stage before that, which is that we think of a joke and tell it to the other and, uh, if they kind of go, you know, then you don't tell it. Mm. So it dies there and then. So you've just got that one sort of safety net, you know, which is not to say you don't come a cropper often enough out there in front of an audience, but, you know, it's a sort We've of... We've never um, come a cropper in front of an audience. Haven't we? No. Oh. It's sort you of... You do um, well to remember it. Right. <laughs> it's, um... Oh, what? You see? You see, I was... I was like a... I was... Flowing, that's right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, having another person, obviously, is, is a kind of... You're constantly... You know, you want confirmation that what you're thinking of or doing or trying to trying to make is uh, is sort of working, you know. Mm. See, because Hugh has his family and whatever, do, do you find it almost difficult to sort of try and get involved socially? Do you almost feel awkward about ringing him up, bring him away from his family, as it were? No. Or his wife's immensely understanding. She recognises... That, you know, when when we're working, as it were. But I wouldn't sort of ring at three in the morning or, or something or, uh, to say, look, I've had this idea, come round, we must now write this sketch. Um, they get on very well. I mean, I get on uh, so well with um, anyway, so it's, which is marvellous. And she's, you know, very pleased that that we can work, you know, and that she and you can also be a family <coughs> at the same time without one threatening the other in any way. The <coughs> next question is. Is a joke. Mm. What work is your wife involved in? Is she on the beers? Um, well, she's not working at the moment because we we have a three-month-old baby. So, um, which is yours? Sorry? <laughs> which is yours together? I mean, yes. <coughs> yeah, that's right. Did I make that clear? No, no, sorry. no right. <laughs> that's right. But uh, yes, she vaguely. I mean, she's. Um, I say vaguely. No, she's not, not vaguely at all. She's completely in this, but not as a performer. She works in. Theatre administration, but has no. Uh, she was once actually uh, quite by chance, and it was a real 
fluke was was hiked up on stage. In fact, this is actually committed to videotape. In fact, it's available in W. H. Smith's. Is her being um, uh, hiked up out of the audience by Lenny Henry to do this sort of big soul song at, an, at a oh, at a Theophilus D. Wilderby. Yeah, is it, it was right. an Amnesty show. It was an it was an Amnesty show. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. Mm. Well, that's her. Yeah. And, and it was it was completely by chance because actually I, um, I think I'm right in saying that Lenny's is pretty short-sighted. He is very. Short-sighted. And he wears glasses, and so when he goes out in the audience, he can't really see who's you know, and so he just kind of looks along, the, and he just went like that, and it happened to be her, and there she was. But um, and, but she said afterwards that that was when he reached out and did that. That was the worst moment of her life. The idea of having to go on stage just fills her with such dread, as it does, as it does me. In fact, to be honest. What work is she involved in? Um, she worked, you know, ad- administration really, worked at the uh, Hampstead Theatre and then at the National Theatre. And that's where you met her? Um, no. We met... God, I've never been to the theatre, have you? No, I've never been to the theatre, so I don't know anything about it, but um, it's apparently quite, you know, people do it and go to it and seem to enjoy it. I I've got nothing against them. No, we met because she, funnily enough, knew my agent. That's how we met, really. Mm, she was. She was. Uh, June '88. What are we looking at? '89. Sorry, '89. So we're looking at a year and three quarters. We've got two children. Two children. What are their names? Charlie is Charlie, is, is a boy. Is two and a half. Uh, yes, two and a half. Uh, and Bill is Bill. nearly. Or is a boy. Is nearly four months now. He was born, yes. born in the middle three and of a, three and a half months. In the middle of a scene. In, um, yes, while we were filming Jews and Woodstock, he was. Uh, he popped out. At six o'clock in the morning, she very calmly said, We're off, you know, and uh, so we said, Very calm. Everyone was very calm. And we called the midwife, and we kind of, a friend came round, and I went off to work, and, and about midday, the phone rang, and uh, I arrived at the hospital, wallop, three o'clock, there he was. I was in and costume, in fact. But the bit you didn't know about is that we had to carry on doing the scene without you. Yes, so Stephen had to say all his lines to a blank wall, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> is that and a great difference? <laughs> the wall That's a pretty punchy sort of question. <laughs> 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 yeah. But uh, Stephen Godfather, you, you Godfather, Both, in fact. Both. A bit greedy, but I couldn't resist it. Mm. I too much a rose. The press have been quite nasty to you. I don't want to go into it. details about your personal life, does it hurt you? No, I don't think it would be nasty particularly. Um, I've always been quite um, frank. I can't remember them actually saying anything personal about me that has, I mean, haven't sort of well, found anything else. They? I mean, yeah, they're obsessed with it, I, I grant you that. And um, you don't count as, as a press person being obsessed <laughs> no, with it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, I don't mind. Um, I mean, I'm not particularly ashamed of, uh, of anything I've done particularly. Well, shame they haven't gone to prison, I suppose. But I mean, you know, if if it interests them, then good luck to them. But it's rather sad. Mm. Mm. Do you get upset when Stephen is being mistreated by the press or whatever? Does it? No, I I have to say I sort of agree that you know it's as um, that you know things have been written that, as far as I'm aware, that nothing's been written that you didn't know was there was a chance of being written about and sort of you know went along with. I mean, it's not as if you've been. I've discovered some guilty secret about me, or, or indeed, or written something untrue that you know, or, or particularly unpleasant. I mean, it, it, it's only unpleasant in as much 
which it is personal, but I just, it doesn't worry me too much. Unless he's talking about some articles that you Yeah, I'm just trying to work out what yeah. I might not have read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you've been to America recently, haven't you? Yeah. The press over there is very different, isn't it? How have you found it towards you? Because you're a relative, I know, Yeah, mm. so they're relatively... Um, I don't know, how do they take to you, generally? Well, um, I have to... Well, I'm going to come right out mm. and say that I, I mean... The, the bits that they wrote about us, about Jews and Worcester principally, because that's, that's sort of the biggest thing we've done that's been on there. I was, um, I thought it was startling how much better the, uh, the journalism was, the criticism. And I don't just mean, I mean, it, it so happens that some of the papers, and some quite big ones, were nice about the show, they liked the show, but I don't sort of mean that, that it's just because we got a better reaction. I just mean that it was better informed uh, better written, more interested. Much more observant. It Much more observant. Sort of they actually had watched them rather than just sitting glassily eyed and drunk. As and and made observations that just would not have occurred. They would not have occurred in a hundred years to, to some of these twerps who write, you know, um, English criticism. And uh, that was quite surprising because, in a sort of chauvinistic sort of way, you kind of think, well, you know. Well, the Yanks, what are they going to know about it? Yeah, you know, yeah. And Woodhouse is English, and, and it's... it's. Uh, but actually but they were... They, yeah, I mean, just higher quality, I have to say. They were, um, it, it sort of put them to shame, I thought, rather. Now, you were in a play once when Stephen went over to America, isn't that right? You, you were supposed to go, but you couldn't because you were involved in a West End. Oh, that's, that's right. right. Yeah, right. yeah. So have you actually been to America yet? To yeah, we went we, to, we, the last we went time we went, we went together. More recently, in January... Um, for, it was to do with Jews and Worcester, it was, which is shown on PBS in America, yes. uh, uh, and it's under the umbrella or parasol or whatever you call it of um, um, Southwester. Uh, yes, Southwester. To the White House. Of, of yes, it was. For both uh, of you. That's right. Mm. It was um, story. Mm. So Must what, what, be theatre. Um, um, we're celebrating their twentieth anniversary, um, yeah. and so we. Didn't. What were your combined impressions of, of America, generally? Thank you. Well, well. I'd seen Los Angeles before, and we all know that it was a place of madness. Um, Pretty Washington was, Washington was dull and very disappointing indeed, except for the excitement of um, being shown around the White House by the President's daughter, who managed to contrive by being incredibly charming. Which President's this? Um, president of the United States. President president George, George Bush. George Bush. January, mm. he was President yeah. of the yeah. yeah. And so that was, that was very thrilling. Yeah. But, but it, it has no shops, Washington. <laughs> That's strange. It is like... A, it's like a sort of vast college or something, I suppose, isn't it? I mean, all yeah. the buildings were... Very different. I mean, incredibly yes, in fact, different. different country from Sally Angeles. Quinn, who was a very sort of Washington hostessy sort of woman, is married to Ben Bradley, who edits yeah. the, you know, the Post. And, this, and they were very full of that, that that was the secret of it. Mm. I'm talking earlier about how the uh, Americans view the British. I mean, you're talking about how Woodhouse sort of painted the British for the Americans. Mm. Yeah. Did you find they almost expected you to be like those characters? And to what extent did you play on that, perhaps, for them? Well, no, I mean, they, they, I don't think they did at all. I, no, they're, they're much more grown up about it than yeah, emotion, really. I mean, there are, obviously are ones who say, gee, love that accent from time to time, but it's not, not the kind of ones you meet, as it were, do they? No. And there are ones in the Midwest, apparently, where you go there and they, they, just, they just hate you and distrust you because of your accent. And there are Americans who think that British people put on their accent. You know? But it is simply a, a, a kind of pose all like that, that, you know, if we relax and, or on our own, we kind of immediately tie like this again, you know, that they can't believe that this is the way we actually choose yeah. to speak, that we, they think it's how it takes more effort to, to speak the way we do, because of the fact that we say T instead of D for, you know, mm. little, we don't say little, you know, but 
generally speaking, you know, uh, it's we a sophisticated are... nation with very good universities and, um, and they a, know what's a what. top echelon of people with great, much greater numbers and deeper education than we would ever give them credit for. However, it is true to say, I think, that, that we know much more about them than they know about us. Mm. Um, you know, we are a bit strange to them, and they're not strange to us at all, really, because, you know, if you watch any television at all, you go to, go to see films, you know, you just sort of know America. You kind of, you know what makes it work, roughly. Um, I was discover a new word. I was discovering a new word. Do you know what they call a parting? It's just a part. It's a part. What, part. in your hair? Yeah, a part. I mean, we had, we had, you know, you just discovered okay. these things like that. It's funny, isn't it? But, um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I was, um, someone was saying that they'd been to a, I've been to have breakfast at a restaurant we'll in America. We'll be arriving in New York, JFK soon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they'd asked for, asked, for, asked the waiter for some more butter. And the waiter had said, what? You want what? And uh, they'd said, uh, butter. You know, you must have butter over here. You know what butter is. It's, you know, milk, uh, cows. And, and you churn it up and it turns into... And eventually he went, oh, you mean butter? But, I mean, how different does that sound? Butter and butter. I mean, it's not... I mean, if an it's English massively way, different, if an it? English waiter said that to an American, it would sound like a rank piece of snobbery, wouldn't it? Butter, butter, we didn't know butter. What is yes, butter? we have, no, we have no butter here. Oh, uh, butter! Yes, you know, it, would it would be, be really sarcastic. It would be awful. Because be, we, we know the accents and the idiom so well that, that it, almost anything an American says, you know, we, we can understand, but it's just staggering to, to know Same how much they don't understand. Asthma, you know. What, excuse me? Another one. Excuse me, what is asthma? Talking about illness with a... Oh, you mean asthma. It was oh, ten I mean, minutes. Ten minutes of saying asthma. You must have it over there. It's a breathing <coughs> difficulty. Oh, you mean asthma? Like it's a like it's a completely different word. It's I mean, they just totally different letters and everything. Because it is so strange. Well, speaking of restaurants, and John Sessions has told a story recently on television about you. Because um, he's obsessed with that story. I hope he told it right. I've heard it three times on <laughs> different occasions, actually. But so, I mean, do often. What's this? But there was a time in Joe Allen's when we were very. Uh, it was after a theatre thing, and there were quite a lot of us around the table. And I, I always sort of happens, I'm the one who's embarrassed when people are talking and the waiter's trying to take the order. And so I was saying, what does everyone want? I'd sort of become the boss of the table, as it were. And I said, oh, I'll have the, you know, potato skins and the whatever, um, you know, chopped steak or something. And she was American. And she, uh, and they are pretty rude, the waiters and Germans, anyway. And she came back after a while and said, there's only one chopped steak left. So well, okay, so I'll have a lamb and... And, people, and I get, had to gather people's attention that she was standing there. And uh, so two people said they wanted a lamb, and four people said they wanted trout. She went up, she said, well, since now there's only two trout and there's only one lamb. And so people say, oh, I don't want lamb, then. so no one's going to have lamb. So, well, there are two, and they no, no, it's all right, I won't have the lamb. And, you know, people would, it was sort of irritating in a way, but, but perfectly good-natured. And she said, said, geez, this is a pain in the ass. So I, just, so I picked up a fork and went, no, that's a pain in the ass. <laughs> What we're doing is ordering food. It was very... I mean, it's a light prong. It wasn't insult. You draw blood or something? No, no, I didn't draw blood. <laughs> That's all. But anyway, it seems to tickle the gun session. This is an appalling linkness. But you mentioned sort of being the boss of the table. When the two of you together, who is the sort of... the more domineering of the decision-making, all that sort of thing? I am. He, I've told oh. you, I am. Oh. No, no, I've told you, you are. No, <coughs> no well, there is none. Uh, we're, we're both cooperative. It is um, you know, it's a kind of profit-sharing um, enterprise. We all put yeah. in. We've got, a, we've got a profit who forecasts what the day's going to be like, mm. and we share him. Mm. The life share his name. Well, what are the different qualities, do you think, which I know it's time to cast aside all modesty, which you each bring to this team, which you are? 
Modesty, I think, yeah. is our greatest point. Yeah. But casting that aside, we're left with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what Stephen's very funny and very bright and very knowledgeable. I'm going to go on. I mean, you're in. No, yeah. you please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very, very tall, uh, very generous, uh, very tall. Uh, am I padding in at all? Yes. Hugh is exceptionally, exceptionally funny. Um, very, very intelligent. Has extraordinary insight into people. It's outrageously talented in uh, things like music and just everything he wants to do. And do yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, can sing and he can, you know, and is sporting and everything else. And it's just thoroughly good egg. Thoroughly good egg. And he's very funny. And he's got a funny face. Do you have a, not to get on, is there anything about each other you don't like? Seriously, is We'd there love to make one up, actually, but there isn't really. Have you ever had a major fallout? Yeah. The odd, you know, self, I suppose, You know, half a day. I mean, it's normally, it's normally just being sort of tired or fed up with what mm. we're doing, that, that, you know, you have a day or a half a day when you just sort of sulk around a bit because cause you're sulking around with the, with the world as much as anything. And, uh, but actual... Straightforward rounds. No, we've never had. I think it would be catastrophic if we did. I mean, it's just unthinkable. Yeah, yeah, it would because it would mean such a lot. It's because we are the sort of people who don't. We don't row. I mean, there's some people who row all the time, and then make you know, it's a kind day. of knack that some people have. They can they can row and then forget about it very quickly. Is it supposed to be healthy? Though? They say it is. Yeah, yeah. I don't. we're very unhealthy. Well, oh. in which case, we're we're going to die in, in five or ten minutes yeah. right? because we never we really it do it. Now. No, we don't. There's nothing to bottle up. So, I mean, it would be healthy if we felt we needed to grab it. It's just uh, we can accommodate. The thing is that we, we know, we, we do know pretty quickly when the other person is fed up about something. Yeah. So, in some ways, we never get really get a chance to build up too much of a head of steam because, uh, you know, we know each other very well. Yeah. So when do you Not surprisingly. Um, stop doing talking. He, he tends to go around pretending to look for something. <laughs> and you see, he just sort of will go through a room going. Right there. <laughs> and so you know true. that. So although, actually, looking for things is what makes him, That's what makes him angry. But, but also, if, he's, um, if he wants to show displeasure, it's a kind of, you know, uh, like this. It's a sort of. Like that. And you know something's up then. What about you? Long periods of silence and looking at the floor. Uh, can't. Is he looking for the same thing that you're <laughs> <laughs> seeing? Yeah. It. He's, yeah. he's not I'm not telling, telling him where it is. I was wondering about. I mean, everyone says Fry and Laurie. Are you happy? With, have you always been happy with that order of billing, or is that just a coincidence? Just a neat way of saying when we say Laurie and Fry. I'd never know whether it's neat or not. I, um, in in theory, this syllabic thing is more common wise, so it could be Laurie and Fry. Uh, I think Laurie and doesn't sound quite a good Fry and. You can't, Lorian Fry is hard. It's alphabetical. It sounds like Lorian. Yeah, it sounds a bit like Lorian, you know. DeLorean. Yes. DeLorean. <laughs> alphabetical order is pretty straightforward. Did you have a discussion? And I'm inf- infinitely the most important. No. It just happened. Uh, I mean, the most. No, we didn't, actually. No, no. Well, I mean, it's just kind of. It doesn't come up very often, you see, because we're not, we, we, we're not sort of. You know, like variety performers, we don't have bills, you know, with. Uh, we don't really appear on bills very much. No. And, and I suppose, you know, billing becomes important when you've got bills and we haven't really got bills no. you know I mean, at the end of a program it, they'll put the names on that bit yeah but I mean that's or your agent has agreed to some yeah order I suppose I don't know about yeah 
It's a mad. I mean, it is an actor's madness. Really, there are stories of print runs of posters for plays and things that just bog on the mind. The obsession people have. You know, I mean, you know, move my name slightly to the left, or I'm a slightly brighter shade of yellow. Yeah, literally the yellow on one poster. Name, but I mean, it just—it meant so many print runs. This bloody poster, or ones where you get two stars. Is what's that? What is that film? I can't remember. Where it's got—it's like a Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and it's not those two. And they both had to appear on screen at the same time. But then, of course, you know, both starring, so not one for the other. So they're both top billing. But then, of course, the one on the left is sort of held to be better billing than the one on the right. Yeah. So the one on the right was higher. <laughs> so this film starts with you know with. You know, say Paul Newman and Robert Redford. <laughs> just absurd. Yeah. You, you, you tend to work a lot with your friends, and it seems to be a sort of not a brat pack, but a comedy pack with all of you, like you mentioned before, Ben. A gag pack. Yeah. I mean, do you seek to work together quite a lot? Do you see yourselves as, as a bit of a sort of a, a comedy clique, as it were? Or do you try and avoid no, it? No, I don't. I mean, it you just so happens. Lot we do, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, they, you know, they're. Nice people. They're nice people. Mm. Like you know, that's that's the thing. It it's it's probably very easy to look upon it as, as some sort of cliquey th- device, you know, that to that you know to protect some you know piece of territory or mm. something. But it's simply that you know Ben Elton is a very nice bloke. He's a very good, fun chap to spend time with, and I like him very much. And he's a very good friend. And you know, John Sessions is a very nice bloke. You know, they, they generally speaking are. Mm. And you know, there's no, you can't have too much too much good. Funny people had it in too much talent. You know, it's just impossible to have too much. There's no time when someone says, Oh, shut the door now. We've got this check for Bronson of here. So I know we've got enough actors, we don't need any more. I mean, it's nonsensical. There is always, you know, people begging to, any producer begging to have more time. More yeah, I think people do imagine you all sitting around a great big dinner table, slapping each other on the back, saying how funny you are. I know, oh, I know, yeah. I know. It, it, it's, I mean, awful. Because I look at the newspapers and it's, it looks to me that way. I know, exactly. I mean, yeah. it's a horrible idea. But it is just that, um, you know, to go back to to Fry and Laurie, what what's the situation with that series? A, a bit of Fry and Fry and Laurie is that? Well, we're writing another, another one at the moment. Right. Um, when will we see it? Uh, well, we'll make it in July, yeah. probably September, September, October, yeah. November, autumnish. Yeah, three o'clock on a Tuesday morning, sort of time. <laughs> but that's a it's it's fun, but of course it is a, something very extraordinary about writing sketches, which is which is like writing sort of eight sitcom episodes at least per show about nine or ten because although it's not as long as a sitcom episode it's essentially it's, it's one thing it's one idea and one, one idea and then you characters start and one plot and then you start, start on something completely new which you can because I think last time we wrote 150 sketches and it's sort of depressing in a way because you write what you think is a, you know you have a good afternoon you write a good sketch and it makes you laugh and you think oh that's great and then you suddenly think, oh, Christ, we're 149 to go. You know, it's so, some, it suddenly seems like such a drop in the ocean. It kind of get you down a bit. It certainly would if I was doing it on one's own. I don't think it would be possible, really. Yeah. Are you both easily inspired, or do you have long times just sort of staring at the walls and how are we going to do now? It's a fair amount of walls, yeah, There are a lot more with sketches than anything else. I mean, it, you have a lot of... If you, if you if I wanted to do a sitcom, you know, or, or a film or something, there's a hell of a lot of staring at the wall while you're trying to devise the plot. But once yeah. you've got the scene and know what's in it... You, then it's something else takes over and you can sort of carry on. It's, it's not the writing of the sketch, it's the thinking of the sketch to write. Yeah. Yeah. The time, isn't yeah. 
You both appeared in a couple of series of Blackout, which always looks great fun. Is yeah. it as much fun to make as it is? Yeah, it's fabulous, really. Are there any nice little stories from Blackadder at all? Hell. Uh, fun anecdotes of making it? Fun anecdotes of making See, it? I'm afraid to say, we both, well, I personally, I've lived a life completely free of fun anecdotes. <laughs> I have absolutely no fun anecdotes at all. That was a scary moment. Well, it was scary. Everyone else found it funny. I found it extremely uh, unfortunate. When, um, oh, this was we my idea. We were doing idea. the title sequence. This was my idea, yes. Um, which was in Colchester. Uh, if you remember, it's marching bands, and there's Borgut. Yes. This is back at a fort. The fort, yeah. And the idea was that I, Tim McInerney, who played Captain Darling yeah. and I, would um, <coughs> stand and receive the salute. And... Hugh had the same idea, as he noticed a couple of officers around on horseback. It would be rather good to do it on a horse. It would look excellent, you know, because we had sort of cavalry-type trousers, and it would look great to be standing on a horse. So they found Plunging this, steed. That's right. They found this shivering, flanked, proud, snorting beauty, which was about half the height of centre center point. Called Fury. It was Fury. And I was eventually step, step, it was step ladders and those sort of things they used to use on VC-10s for receiving presidents on foreign tarmacs, you know, they sort of wheeled in front of it and I climbed onto this enormous horse. Tim was very good on that. He, he, He'd just done a film in which he had to do yeah, some riding, so he right. looked very good. He and he had a quieter horse. And he had, Stephen had an absolute... My horse was sort of all right until the moment the band started, you know, they, it started yeah. with a bit of British Grenadiers that then turned into the Black Adder theme. And it, would, it started with this one going, one, two, three, figure, this uh, funny yeah. thing, and ching of symbols, and this sort of, and of course it's sort of stone parade ground. Quite a long way down. A long way down, actually. No, it wasn't, but I was absolutely He was hanging from the saddle. It was, uh, and, the, and there was knowledge that everybody else was finding it incredibly funny. funny. <laughs> Which they're bound to do, let's face it. it is your manager was life insurance. <laughs> well, I don't know that. No, I don't care. No, it was, it was very enjoyable. Blackadder's now reached its finale, has it? Or is there Seems to have done, yeah. I think so, There was yeah. talk of a modern-day one, was that? Was yeah. That? I don't know. I mean, it uh, it's it's sort of up to the writers, really, you know. Uh, Richard Blackadder's a spy, but to Blackadder yeah. can't think that yeah. <laughs> You know, they, they wanted to do other things, or they felt that they didn't want to risk doing something that you know makes everyone think, oh, it's not as good as the last that's, one. That's yeah. the terror, really. I mean, it, it's because the last one was. I mean, I think you know, you, it's, it's sort of in a way, it's, in some ways, it's quite hard to choose between the series as to which was the best. But it just so happened that the last one, for some reason, was just sort of huge. I don't know why it was. I mean, the BBC sort of sold it much yeah. more, and you know, in front of the Radio Times and all that. But suddenly, it seemed to be yeah. enormous. And they're bringing back the old. You know, and then. Uh, so after that, it's, I would, from the writer's point of view, I guess it's a bit worrying that, you know, to think, well, what if we do one, it isn't as good, and it has people saying... Because that's really, that's horrible. Although, funnily enough, people always seem to say that about each series. They said, oh, I like the last one more, yeah. to begin with. And then by the end of it, they that's preferred right. that, you know... That's right. Exactly. It was sort of a, to its advantage that it was a new setting each time, because it, it means that it, uh, it's sort of harder for it to go stale. But even so, I can see their point, you know, that thinking it's get out while, while, while we're ahead. What, what of Jeeves and Worcester? How many um, series do you expect? Oh, God knows. I mean, it could go on, couldn't it? He's getting well, there's of stories, but there's, there's still, lots of stuff. Still, still I mean, the, yeah, the, as I said earlier, that, that things are condensed so much, they have to yeah. be, you know. You, well, if you take out all the narrative of a Woodhouse book, you've got about that much. Yeah. If you take out the, you know, the plots, the, the bits of the plot that you just not going to use because it doesn't work or it's yeah. you know 
you've got about that much, you know, so things are condensed a lot. Yeah. But even so, he wrote a lot, you know, there's a lot to go. How far ahead are you both planning? Don't, don't not plan even at all. Not a day, really. But what, what is coming? I mean, you've got the series coming out. What yeah. else can we see you in, whether it be on stage or TV or films? Is Blackhead, well, look, Blackhead, there's a front, there's a front lorry which we're doing, which will be out in whatever. Yes. There may be a third Jews in Worcester end, end of this right. year, which is yet to be confirmed. I've done a BBC play, which is going to come out at some stage. I don't know when they're going to be. Have you got any movies, Stephen? No. Hugh and I are sort of tinkering with our film ideas at the moment. But uh, I don't think I've got that film. Is that one that you're writing together for each other? Sort of, yeah. 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 Um, I've written a book, which is going to come out in September. Yeah, tell me a bit. Have you got a title for it yet? Yeah, it's called The Liar. The Liar, right. Um, It's coming out in September. Hmm. I tell exactly what it's 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 exactly about eighty eighty nine and a half thousand words. It's uh, that's pathetic. Um, oh, it's about this chap and this other. He's a liar. It's yeah, about a liar. It's about a liar. Somebody lies a lot. I suppose. Um, is this the fulfilment of another ambition? Yes, I suppose it has. I think yeah. almost everybody has it in ambition. I've read it, it by the way. He's read it. I've read it. Yeah, that was my job. Reading it. Read it. Excellent. First rate. I mean, I, I obviously wouldn't have bought one. That's why I read it in the manuscript <laughs> form. But um, but no, it's 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 a cracker. It really is. Is that what's going to be written on the cover? It's a, a cracker. cracker. <laughs> Hugh Laurie. Frank Carson. Um, um, any just very glad to wrap up. Any sort of ambition still to be fulfilled for, for each of you, or whether it be in or out of showbiz? I want to be Governor General of Canada. Serious ambition. Um, no, I can't. Um, not really. Oh, it's pathetic, isn't it? Yeah, it is pathetic. To do the funniest sketch show ever. ever. Really? To do the funniest sketch show ever. Yeah. Uh, but let's, let's get back to the real world of being Governor General Cameron. <laughs> yes, exactly. Do you think you will always be friends? Yeah. Well, well awful, these things are impossible to know. Yeah. It'd be very sad if you weren't. If I suddenly discover that... You'd say, oh, you're always going to be the party, and I go, right, well, I'm not going to go. You'd suddenly discover what? Well, I don't know that, you know, that sort of... Stephen stolen my television or something. Like that. You know, <laughs> that wouldn't worry too much. I stole your Zulu jacket. Yeah. All my all my Black Sabbath well, records or something. Well, you know, it would be a real. Yeah. <laughs> my Black Sabbath. You asked me to do your Black Sabbath. I did actually. Yes, and I claimed it as well. <laughs>